Hi, my name is Ben Witkowski, and welcome to the Universal Language of Music podcast. Today's episode will be the audiobook version of episode 7, Music and the Brain. Episode 7, Music and the Brain. As this epic quest of discovering the wonderful power of music continues on, the habit of embarking on the dissection of extremely complex topics appears again. In just six chapters, I have attempted to the best of my ability to analyse and interpret a succinct yet informative history of music, as well as discussing when and how music began to be considered a universality of humankind, or indeed to be considered as a language, let alone a universal language. In perhaps the most intricate and specific knowledge field of topics surrounding the universality of music, the focus of this chapter is on music and the brain. I've always been fascinated with the way that I listen to music, noting how it makes me feel, how my body reacts to it, and how it ignites memories in my mind. I take note of other sensory reactions as well, what it makes me see, taste, smell. I also consider myself to be incredibly fortunate that I have the ability to play various instruments, sing, and to create music. This perhaps gives me some more insight to what I'm thinking when I listen to music, and what I think the artist is trying to convey through what they have written. Music creates a fictitious realm between the artist and the listener, an imaginary world where the raw emotion of self can be creatively expressed and resonated with. For the artist, music is quite often an easier communicative tool than, say, having a conversation with someone or writing something down. The content of the song is usually extremely personal to the artist. However, the storytelling nature of music can depersonalize the content, making it easier for other people to get something out of that particular song. For the listener, music gives the opportunity to interpret and connect to the message of the music by entering that fictitious realm of the musical narrative. It creates a space where people can insert themselves into the mould that is shared by the artist and themselves. It becomes a mutually beneficial place where people can not only emotionally connect with other people, but also better connect with their own emotions. This is an undeniably magnificent power for music to empower people's emotions through the creative narrative of song. But when we listen to music, what else is happening to us? What is going on in our brains? Does music assist the development of our brains? They are fascinating questions with fascinating insights. To best answer them, there are three components to explore about music and the brain. As I relevantly mentioned when I began this series, I absolutely do not profess to be a neuroscientist. I do know that music does have incredible power on the brain. I know that music can heal and I am fascinated into whether music is a product of evolution or human invention. These are the three elements that I will be exploring in this chapter. 1. Music's impact on the brain. 2. Music, evolution or human invention. And 3. Music therapy. Music's impact on the brain. The brain is by far the most complex part of the human body. It is the host of all our intelligence, the controller of our behaviour, the interpreter of our senses, and the very source of what defines us. 
One of the more fascinating things about the brain is how little is known about how it works. It is one of science's greatest mysteries with regard to the makeup of the human body. Our brain is very compartmental and rigid in the way it processes information. There are so many components in the brain that have an incredibly specific function. The only real exception to this process is music. Music penetrates multiple areas of the brain at the same time, reaping incredible results. In the case of music, it can change our ability to perceive time, tap into primal fear, reduce seizures, improve our communication, make us stronger, boost our immune system, assist in repairing brain damage, make us smarter, evoke memories, give us goosebumps, and enhance our sense of taste, just to name a few. Scientists have found that there is no single area where the brain processes music. In fact, music stimulates more parts of the brain more than any other human function. The pathways activated also orchestrate language, attention, memory, complex cognition, and movement. In a slightly more detailed breakdown, there are 12 areas of the brain where music performs a specific function. The frontal lobe, temporal lobe, Broca's area, Wernicke's area, occipital lobe, cerebellum, nucleus accumbens, amygdala, hippocampus, hypothalamus, corpus callosum, and putamen. The frontal lobe is used for our thinking, decision-making, and planning. It is one of the most important aspects of being human, as our frontal lobe is big when compared with other animals. Listening to music has been proven to enhance its functions. Of particular interest is music's impact on the temporal lobe. Our temporal lobe is where we process sounds, and in particular, language. Language is processed on the left side of the brain, whereas music is processed on both sides. This opens up some incredible possibilities for language and music therapy, something I will touch on later. In the hippocampus, music's repetitive and familiar patterns work to improve our memory and even relate songs to certain moments in time. In the cerebellum, a musician may be able to play an instrument regardless of other physical and mental conditions due to an enhanced level of muscle memory. In the amygdala, music can control your fear, make you ready to fight, or even increase pleasure. It can draw physical sensations such as goosebumps or shivers down your spine. Our motor cortex can make us tap our feet, shake our hips, or click our fingers to a tune without us even realizing that we are doing it. It's even been proven that music we like releases opioids in our body, while music that we don't like can release cortisone. Around 25 years ago, scientists believed that music was processed on the right side of the brain as language was processed on the left. This has now been disproven, and to magical effect. The effect of music on the brain is so all-encompassing and widespread that its true reach has not yet been measured. In the last 25 years, one of the main questions that has come into hotly debated contention is the function of music for humans. Is it an evolutionary process or just a product of human invention? Evolution or human invention? One particularly polarizing debate in the field of music lies in trying to actually determine the purpose of music. 
From the beginning of this series, we have learnt about the importance of music and its imperatively important place in the progression of civilization. But that is all playing entirely into the field of expression, emotion, and connection. Through the study of civilizations and music's universality, the underlying purpose of music's function hasn't been documented. There are two schools of thought to the underlying purpose of music to the human mind. They are that it is either a human invention that serves no real purpose or function in life, or that it is an evolutionary process, in that musical behaviours, quote, originated via biological evolution due to their survival value for human ancestors, end quote. Perhaps the most famous or iconic interpretation of the first school of thought mentioned, that music serves no real evolutionary purpose, is from Harvard professor Steven Pinker. Pinker expresses a non-adaptive view to music's biological purpose. He does not believe music is a legitimate biological adaptation. Instead, Pinker supports the idea that music is a byproduct or side effect of other adaptive functions, mainly language. The relationship between language and music is paramount to Pinker's views. Whilst he believes that language is a result of evolutionary natural selection, he does not feel the same of music. We know that creating and listening to music activates multiple subfunctions of the brain, including utilizing our motor skills, creativity, memory, and pattern detection. Pinker believes that none of these were developed for the primary purpose of music creation. Rather, music just utilizes these already existing capacities in our brain. If music were to be removed from society, Pinker believes it would make no difference to the makeup of our brain and mind. He writes, quote, As far as biological cause and effect are concerned, music is useless. It shows no signs of design for attaining a goal such as long life, grandchildren, or accurate perception and prediction of the world. Compared with language, vision, social reasoning, and physical know-how, music could vanish from our species and the rest of our lifestyle would be virtually unchanged. Music appears to be a pure pleasure technology, a cocktail of recreational drugs that we ingest through the ear to stimulate a mass of pleasure circuits at once. End quote. The final sentence in Pinker's quote brings about the second main point of his view. Pinker believes that music was developed by humans for reasons of pleasure and enjoyment only. Music stimulates a number of pleasure channels throughout the brain, but these pleasure channels were developed across the evolutionary process for other reasons and purposes. Music merely just taps into them. Pinker states, quote, Music is auditory cheesecake, an exquisite confection crafted to tickle the sensitive spots of at least six of our mental faculties. End quote. Pinker's non-adaptive views are contrasted with other scientists who do believe music is in fact the consequence of the process of biological evolution. There are two main reasons to support the view that music is an evolutionary process, sexual selection and social cohesion. Charles Darwin was the first to put forward the idea of music as an enhancer to the sexual selection component of his famous survival of the fittest ideology. In his 1871 publication, The Descent of Man, Darwin compared human production music to birdsong, 
where male birds use complex melodies and rhythms as a means to gain an advantage in the competition to acquire a reproductive partner. Darwin wrote, quote, Musical tones and rhythm were used by the half-human progenitors of man during the season of courtship, when animals of all kinds are excited by the strongest passions, end quote. He hypothesized that the ability to produce songs predated the ability for effective language communication in human civilization. He even professed that singing, quote, provided the scaffolding upon which language itself evolved, end quote. This theory was reworked by evolutionary psychologist Jeffrey Miller in 2000. Miller devised a sexual selection theory that compared humans' creation of music to the male tail of a peacock. A classic example of sexual selection enhancement, the male peacock must grow an elaborate, colourful and strong tail to attract interest from the female. This is a physical manifestation of the survival of the fittest concept, as a male peacock can only form a glamorous tail if it is not malnourished, is capable and competent in finding food and protecting itself. Once it is strong enough to feed and protect itself, the extra energy and resources in its body are used to grow its ornate tail. As such, a peacock with a strong tail will inherently have good genes and are then deemed a strong candidate for sexual reproduction in the eyes of the female. Whilst music creation has no real physical manifestation on the human body, Miller theorizes that the ability to create and play music shows indications of a strong candidate for sexual selection. Music can be an indicator of overall fitness and brain capacity, demonstrating heightened levels of competency in visual art, literature, and humor, for example. In the sexual selection theory, the concept of an aesthetic display is a function used to enhance the potential for mate selection. Researchers shows that the human body responds desirably to pleasurable sounds. A pleasurable sound can be an example of the concept of an aesthetic display. Miller writes that music, quote, has many features that can be interpreted as aesthetic displays that fulfill pre-existing perceptual and cognitive differences, end quote. The second main reason to support the view of music as an evolutionary process stems from the premise that humans are inherently social beings. There is an underlying balance of individual competition and collective cooperation in our world. A prominent example of polarization of this balance is in intelligence. So often, intelligence is feared in many contexts. In a workplace, intelligence from a subordinate may be taken as a risk to the leader or manager resulting in actions from the manager to suppress the thoughts and ideas from the subordinate. Though seen as counterproductive in a workplace environment, this demonstrates the evolutionary concept of the survival of the fittest. The subordinate's intelligence could result in a promotion at the expense of the manager. This individual competition is a fundamental part of human nature, albeit perhaps rarely explored or explained as an evolutionary construct. Conversely, Humans do need other humans to survive. In its most eminently obvious manner, two humans of the opposite sex are needed to reproduce and ensure the species continues. In more indirect examples, humans need groups for food production, defense and strength, mental well-being and communication. 
There have been a number of scientists and researchers that have said music serves a biological purpose of social cohesion and unity. Roderer stated in 1984 that music has a value, quote, as a means of transmitting information on emotional states and its effect in congregating and behaviorally equalizing masses of people, end quote. Dunbar stated that, quote, Collective singing and dancing replaced physical grooming in ancestral human groups, when increasing group size made physical grooming of allies impractical, end quote. Cohen, Kosfeld, and others in 2009 and 2005 stated that collective singing and dancing promoted bonding because it released endorphins. Quote, Endorphins, as a byproduct of their role in pain control, have the property of making us feel warm and well-disposed towards others who share the experience that stimulates their production. End quote. Ian Cross is one researcher that expanded on the social cohesion factor of music and interpreted it further as something that we are exposed to at a young age to support social constructs and social cohesion. Cross uses an ethnomusicological analysis viewpoint to understand music's evolutionary construct Music can demonstrate group cohesion through physical manifestations such as clicking fingers, tapping feet, and clapping. These acts are done as a result of the brain's processing of music, and in a group setting, the unification of everyone's bodies rhythmically equalizing can create a sense of comfort and unity among the group. The tendency and acceptance to move one's body to the rhythm and pattern of music is widely accepted in Western cultures. However, Cross explains that this is different in other cultures from different areas and different eras. In other cultures, listening to music in a group has mandates for people to sit still. This, in effect, performs the same functions of group unity, but in a vastly different manner. For young children and juveniles, this cultural practice of sitting still teaches discipline and managing impulsivity meaning the individual will be more adept to social cohesion as their life progresses. Cross also uses the example of interacting with infants as another example of music's use as a social bonding concept. It is almost automatic that adults change the way they speak to a baby. Their tones will become brighter and lighter, their rhythm may become more patterned and musical, and their tempo may become slower. A mother will sing soothingly to its baby, and the baby will respond accordingly, mostly with attention and enjoyment. This process is supportive that music is biologically evolutionary and not a cultural invention. Infants obviously do not possess the ability to speak, so their first real involvement in the communicative process with other humans is through listening and adapting their behaviour to someone when they are singing to them. The theories just explored all do not conclusively answer whether music is an evolutionary construct or just a result of human expression and enjoyment. There are valid points for both sides of the argument. One way of determining the answer conclusively would be to know what came first, music or language. In the similar vein that animals use mating calls to express their strength and ideal candidature for mating and reproduction, if humans first use songs and rhythms before the proper development of language in the same manner, language could then be seen as a byproduct of music and song, rather than the other way around. This seems like an unlikely hypothesis to ever prove, 
So instead, we are left with the idea that there are many evolutionary concepts that can be related and explained in part by the use of music in human life. Music therapy. Music can complement any feeling or emotion perfectly. It can sum up moments of happiness, sadness, excitement, anguish, rage, depression. The list is endless. Often when people listen to music to relate it to their current emotion or even to fill silence, it is considered to be therapeutic. But this is different to the discussion around music therapy. Back in ancient Greece, Pythagoras was one of the first people, if not the first, to exclaim that there was an innate relationship between human emotions and music. Pythagoras used harmony and melody through mathematical ratios to attribute a certain pitch, tone or tune to a certain emotion. He would use these tunes to heal the souls of those in need. He would cure their anger, ignite the fight against their depression and even use the power of music to physically heal the body. In the current day, music therapy is used to treat a number of conditions where the brain has been affected or impacted. As we know, music ignites a reaction in almost every part of the brain. It is the only medium or concept to have such a power. Around 25 years ago, scientists widely believed that language was processed on the left side of the brain, whilst music was processed on the right. Now though, this has changed to accurately reflect music's ability to ignite pathways all over the brain. In the space of music therapy, this is incredibly important. This development opened the gate for music therapy to assist stroke and Parkinson's patients. There are patients that have movement problems or damage to their brain that make them lose the ability to speak. A condition called aphasia can occur, where a patient will lose the ability to speak or understand language. They cannot speak, but some can still sing. This is because the left side of the brain is damaged, inhibiting the language pathway in the brain. Music's wider separation of this pathway means that it is still possible for people to sing something that they have memorized. Music is used as a solution to language pathway brain damage through a process called melodic intonation therapy. In this process, the music therapist will typically ask a patient to hum and then sing a short sentence like, how's your day going? Then, they'll gradually ask them to repeat it in different manners of delivery, becoming less and less melodic until the patient can eventually say the sentence as normal speech. The other areas of the brain are being used to retrain the brain to be able to speak. Music also has many abilities when it comes to patients with dementia or memory loss. When we sing something familiar to us, it usually evokes a memory around it. It may be the age we were when we heard it, the smell surrounding the first time when we heard it, or a person or event associated to that song. In the case of a patient with dementia or memory loss, they may have difficulty retrieving memories, they may be confused and find it difficult to be in the present moment. When a piece of music that is familiar to them is played and there is encouragement for them to sing along, the healthy and unaffected areas of the brain can access the memory associated with that song and bring them forward to the front of their mind. Whilst not solving the issue of memory loss entirely, it can work to heal memory receptors in the brain and if nothing else, put a smile on their face. Conclusion 
music's power on the brain is still being properly explored. It is perhaps the most powerful single piece of influence on the brain's operations, as there is no other element or concept that activates as many parts of the brain in our world than music. To sum up this chapter of looking at music's impact on the brain, its power through music therapy, and whether it is biologically evolutionary or a result of human invention, there is one final study to look at which captures the very essence of music. Neuroscientist and musician Charles Lim conducted an experiment of hooking up a musician to an MRI machine whilst they were playing an instrument. They were scanning the brain as they gave instructions for the musician to perform a certain action. When the musician was instructed to improvise, the brain absolutely lit up in some areas and shut down in others. Lim explains, quote, We see that the prefrontal cortex appears to be really shutting down in these moments of high creativity, kind of like letting go of these conscious, self-censoring or self-monitoring areas that normally are there to help control our output. If you view it from the perspective of survival, if human beings could only do memorized rote responses, we'd be long gone. It's not something that just happens in clubs and jazz bars. It's actually maybe the most fundamental form of what it means to be human, to come up with a new idea. End quote. That there says everything that needs to be said about music and the brain. Music represents the most fundamental form of what it means to be human, to come up with a new idea. Creativity should always be given the opportunity to flourish, as it personifies all of what makes humanity brilliant, inspiring, and the adventure of a lifetime.